You're listening to the podcast This Slavery, episode four, our final episode, Struggle, Dare and a Breath of Fresh Air. The mill workers of East Lancashire had to be tough to survive. Ethel was one of them. They could not afford to give in to any weakness or failure, lest they be overwhelmed by the challenges of poverty and overwork. Ethel's characters make passionate political speeches in public, but when it comes to personal feelings, they cannot show them. It's too soft. They speak in code. Being utterly destitute and despairing becomes being a bit short-like. Rachel is even reluctant to show affection to her sister. Rachel moves slowly over to her sister. She felt that she ought to kiss her. But kisses were not so cheap in their world as in the bourgeois world. To kiss was to give a bit of the soul, then to stand back again, ashamed, spartan-like, of the softness of life. If you're looking for great declarations of undying love in this book... You'll be disappointed. But to Ethel's working-class readership, it comes as no surprise. They know exactly what she means by the stumbling hints and behaviour of her young lovers. No one is expected to declare love out loud. Instead, Ethel uses the natural world as a metaphor. Jack and Rachel meet by accident out on the hills one night. Here. Don't go, he said. She was very resolute. What are you crying for? Just letting the steam off, she answered. It was about Esther, he guessed. Silence answered him. I was thinking about Esther too, he said in a low voice. I can't say it will never be a less tender thing to me. Always a beautiful memory, Rachel. The grasses were sighing. Could you? Would you, Rachel? He began haltingly, forgive me that. Then Rachel held her hand out. That and more, she told him. Oh, Jack. They still held hands as they went down the hill. They looked back. Is that? asked Rachel. It's the dawn, Jack told her. He took off his cap. Everyone seems to understand the situation. Jack's mother only needs to know that Jack's been on the hills with Rachel overnight to know that they are betrothed. Nature and passion are intertwined in everyone's mind. She looked at the clock. Well, it's hardly a respectable hour, she said, but I'm glad and fain. And to show her fainness, she started to cry. Well, it's a sensible choice this time. The local countryside has great significance to the characters. It's where they go for solace, to think, and to express wild and loud emotions that they cannot show at home. Rachel was already walking along the road leading over what was known as Toppet Phil. The clouds had rolled away from the moon. The sandy path glistened in its light. The grasses on each side of it were dim and ghostly. The peewit sounded and the damp wind touched Rachel's face. 
She let her shawl slide to her shoulders and drew a few deep breaths. In the distance she could see the rough, loose stone walls which divided the half-waste pasture from the moors. Black at the crest of the hill was Hester's wood. Nearby was the stream where on school holidays they'd gathered the blossoms of gorse, filling little bottles and carrying them home to pretend to make perfume with them. She recalled Hester holding yellow gorse flowers in her hands, smelling them. Hester always eagerly grabbing at the fair things of life, to whom a field of daisies was a carpet of treasure. It seemed to Rachel that almost she might see tripping ahead a delicate elfin figure with the light of dreams in her eyes running towards the yellow gorse bushes saying lift me up Rachel Rachel dropped on her knees by the old boulder sobbing as she'd not sobbed since her father died the inspiration of our northern countryside runs through all of Ethel's writing. Higher-born novelists might yearn for a room of one's own, but what chance did Ethel have to find the peace and quiet to be creative? She had only the moors and woodland, which represent for her something clear and clean in the midst of the daily grind. A passionate desire for the beauty of the earth, the wild, sweet, mad scent of it, for trees, for the sense of infinity in the night skies, for something to harmonise without, with the fire of dreams and love within, seized him suddenly. Let's just walk till we can feel we're away from it all, he asked. They walked following the old cry of a world once young and unsmirched by inequalities and mocking resemblances to a freedom not yet arisen. From the beginning of the long meadows they dimly felt the presence of the hills. The rain was over and gone. Filmy veils of moonshine hung around the tree boles. Then the moon would dodge under a bank of clouds and all would become the infinity of dark, unfenced fields again. Beauty shot out at them in her hundred disguises, mystic with the light of an old moon. A church clock struck. They turned round and walked back to the ugliness, the smoke, the fried fish shops, factory chimneys and dirty songs sung in dirty streets back to the slime of civilization. When Ethel writes about nature, you can feel the real memories and emotions of her life. Ethel's first attempt at writing as a young teenager included many nature poems and she continued to write them all through her life using images of the countryside as metaphors for her most passionate ideas. Ethel was living and working in a time between two worlds where women and workers were pushing for change all over the world. Ethel was an activist. Local newspapers often carried articles about her addressing crowds of thousands or jumping onto platforms to speak or sing against right-wing opposition. 
when Ethel writes crowd scenes for Rachel and Hester, where they jump up onto platforms and address the people, she's not imagining it. She actually did it. Thank goodness she did. Nicola Wilson of Reading University is convinced of Ethel's importance in the tradition of socialist feminist writing. Here, she puts this slavery alongside the ragged trousered philanthropist. So what's really interesting about this slavery is the way that Carney Holdsworth wears her learning very lightly. So very much like Robert Trussell's The Ragged Trousers of Philanthropists, which was first published in 1914, this slavery is really heavily indebted to Marxist and socialist politics. We have uh, William Morris's News from Nowhere is referenced in the text. The sister Rachel herself reads Marx on a night. There's lots of socialist poets and songs in there. The, the novel is littered with the, the Marxist socialist tradition. But what's really interesting about what Kanye Holdsworth does with all that is she knits it into a family story about romance and sexual politics. Now, in The Ragged Trousers of Philanthropists, we have this character, Owen, who's the central character. He kind of lectures the fellow workmen about socialist politics when they're having their tea breaks. He tells them what he thinks they need to know. Trestle, as the author, clearly believes this too. It's like we are, we are being preached about how the world could be better through socialist politics. But there's a lot of undercutting in that novel. So even though we feel sympathy for Owen as, as lecturer, he's clearly mocked as well. And there's a sense that this could never really happen. What Kanye Holdsworth does with her character who, who has that role, so Rachel, the sister who's politically engaged, who says she wants a Labour government, who's trying to tell people things could be different, you know, if we fight for them. Kanye Holdsworth has a lot of sympathy for that character. She keeps her within the family group where we're concerned with what happens to Rachel. But she's not the central character. She's counterbalanced by her sister, Hester, who has this more romantic story, who wants to get out of where she is through marrying up, you know, and that's seen as a very legitimate thing to do. Because Kanye Holdsworth uses these two women characters together, so the more political story, the more romantic story, it's a much more of a balanced treatment of politics. We're never kind of clobbered over the head in the way that we are in The Ragged Trousers of Philanthropists. And I think that's one of the really rewarding and valuable things about the story and why it's so interesting and fun to read. Ethel gave everything to her writing and to the cause of social justice. This slavery was published in Russia, translated into many languages and read throughout the world, but today few people have heard of her. That number would be even less if it wasn't for radical researchers like Roger Smalley, who I met recently on a windy northern riverbank. As part of research I was doing into proletarian writing, I came across her name in a brief article in the Working Class Movement Library in Salford, which described her as a poet and novelist. I'd never heard of her and was amazed to discover from the biographical notes provided that her background was exactly that of my own family. That is to say, she was an early 20th century cotton mill worker who grew up near Blackburn. These circumstances, or coincidences, took my interest. And as little else was known about her, I set myself the task of finding out. First, I tried to establish what she'd written. It wasn't easy. Even the copyright libraries had little of her work. 
and second-hand book dealers had nothing it seemed but eventually I picked up some here and some there in Britain, America and Ireland and it soon became clear that she'd produced not only a large quantity of fiction but a great deal of journalism and polemical material as well. However, it was all about capitalist exploitation in one form or another. And this led me to investigate her political activism. She was involved in all contemporary progressive campaigns for improvements in working and living conditions, the vote, women's rights more generally, pacifism. She usually worked independently rather than within an organization. She published her own newspaper, The Clear Light. I think she deserves particular credit for forming the National Union for Combative Fascism in the early 1920s, which was perhaps the first attempt to resist the growing influence of Mussolini on the British right wing. Ethel wouldn't have minded being forgotten. As far as she was concerned, it was the message that counted. Build thy new world and forget us quickly, the shadows of the past. Make us no altars, worship us not, such is of the past. March on triumphant and forget the echoes of our strife. We are but the shadows of yesterday. March on, electric with love. Serve as we have served. Struggle, Dare and a Breath of Fresh Air is a Pendle Radicals podcast commissioned by Mid-Pennine Arts in partnership with Lancashire County Council and Libraries Connected. Pendle Radicals is part of the Pendle Hill programme supported by National Lottery Players through their Heritage Fund. This podcast is part of the BBC Novels That Shape the World project funded by Arts Council England. A huge thank you to all involved.